0: This morning's reading comes to us from Acts 8, 26 through 40, out of the New Living Translation. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, and the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up in the carriage and sit with him. The passage of the scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news in there and every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We know in this passage that, that Philip is preparing a journey to go and to begin to share Jesus with Samaritan people, which we know Philip is a Jew. And so this was, would have been a stretch already for Philip, right? Philip would have not grown up talking with Gentile people. He would have just stuck to his own, to the, just the Jewish people. Yet here he is being stretched, being called by the Spirit to go talk to people and share Jesus with people that likely would not have been what he was socially or religiously taught to associate with. Yet on his journey to do this thing, Um, the Holy Spirit prompts him, and his prejudice falls down a little bit more, and he engages a eunuch, which within the Jewish tradition, eunuchs were not allowed in the temple. Eunuchs were not allowed to participate in the life community of faith. Why? Because uh, they could not reproduce, and they were considered unwhole or unclean because they did not have genitalia. And so for this reason, they would not be able to further the margins of the mainstream Israel by perhaps bringing in the future Messiah. And if you couldn't bring in and usher in the future Messiah in way, one way or advance Israel's line and ancestry, then you were worthless. You were unclean. You were unable to accomplish God's purposes for the Jewish people. And so the eunuchs were often uh, pushed aside. Uh, and in this moment, this, this treasurer of Ethiopia, who also happens to be a eunuch, he is, on the, he is an outcast. He is on the margins of mainstream Israel because of this. And this person, uh, Philip chooses to engage, even though everyone in society and the way he had been raised had told him not to. So why would he have been excluded? Um, we, we assume that this individual, this Ethiopian eunuch, is a Gentile. We don't actually know that for sure. Uh, some scholars suggest that he, he actually might be a diasporate Jew, that as the Jews were uh, dis- kind of displaced from their lands and overturned and taken over that jews would spread all over the place and it's very possible that he would have been a jew that ended up in uh, ethiopia or his family would have ended up in ethiopia and he was born into that line now here's why a lot of scholars think that he might have actually not been a gentile and he might have actually been a jew because he went to the temple to worship gentiles don't go to the temple to worship uh gentiles don't do that jews go to the temple to worship now he would not have been allowed to go into the temple why because he's a eunuch he would not have been welcomed but he was still made a valiant attempt to try to go to the temple to worship but also he has a copy of the hebrew scriptures the book of isaiah a scroll why would a gentile have a copy of the hebrew scriptures seems very odd. Also, not likely that the Jewish community would have even been willing to sell it to him as a Gentile. They would have said, why would we give you our holy scriptures to someone who's a Gentile and unclean? Somebody had to write and pen all this and copy this, and now you want us to sell it to you? We'd rather just keep it with our people. So it's very possible that this person was actually a diasporate Jew who had maybe perhaps heard that Jesus was welcoming people on the outskirts of the faith. And that there were some Jews that were beginning to follow Jesus that would actually welcome him and embrace him for the first time. And he begins to perhaps think, maybe now my people who have always turned from me will embrace me. Maybe something is shifting and changing in my religion. Maybe I'll finally be able to be welcomed amongst my people and that my state of being will not disqualify me from being a part of this family of faith. So, now, why would somebody typically be a eunuch? Um, There's a couple of reasons. For this particular person, uh, this this Ethiopian treasurer, it's very likely that the reason that he is a eunuch is because uh, at at birth he was probably groomed to be the treasurer to the queen. And at birth would have been castrated so that when he he became of age, he would be able to be the treasurer of the family of the queen. Now, why would you want to castrate your treasurer? I mean, what's the purpose of that? No cross-pollinating with royalty. So if those who served the king and the queen were close to them and and intermingled with those who were royalty, in order to prevent any cross-pollinating that could occur, castration would occur. And that would protect and preserve the family line of anyone who was amongst royalty. And so that's likely why he is a eunuch in this story. He likely was never able to even decide that life for himself, but likely was destined to be the treasurer in this way. But there are other reasons why someone could be a eunuch during this time as well. Um, We know that 1.7% of our population today is intersex, meaning people who have both both genitals or or internal sex organs that fall outside the male and female categories. That's as many people as our redheads in the the world. Kind of a high number of people who then often either grow up to become gender nonconforming or identify as transgender, um, either end of the spectrum, some folks will go to have reconstructive surgery, choosing their gender that they identify with, or they'll stay as gender nonconforming. And perhaps the words "eunuch" is different than gender nonconforming that we would have today, but the lifestyles and the ways in which they would live would be very different. Would be very similar. Jesus actually kind of seems to acknowledge this in an interesting way in Matthew 19:12. In Matthew 19:12, Jesus seems to acknowledge gender and sexual minorities when he says. Some are born as eunuchs. And there should be a slide for this because I wanted people to physically see this. You can also pick up the Pew Bible or your Bible app. Some are born as eunuchs, and some have been made eunuchs by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone who accepts this who can. Now, it's interesting that in in the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE, that they they decided to change the word eunuch to single. Now, in a lot of translations, it still says eunuch. They have not changed it. It remains the same. But in some translations, they change the word eunuch to single, basically reading to say some are born as single and some have been made single by others and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. doesn't really make sense. Um, and what so what they ended up doing was some choose to be eunuchs and some have been made eunuchs by, or, or single by others. See how they kind of change it and they shift it? And they do this because people like Origen, who is one of our church fathers, he later goes on and he castrates himself. Because he believes that when Jesus is calling folks to be single instead of marrying, and that would be easier instead of, you know, uh, not being able to give yourself fully to the church or being forced into divorce in some way, uh, Origen decides, you know, it'll be really easy. It'll be really easy to stay single and celibate if I just have nothing to work with. And so he just castrates himself. This is one of our church fathers. Now, in the Council of Nicaea in 325, they decide to change this because they think that Jesus' words maybe be a little confusing. They could propel people to do certain things. Also, encouraging people to be eunuchs wasn't like the best, you know, way to sell people to come to the faith. And so they thought, well, maybe, maybe what Jesus is really trying to get at is just be single. And we see Paul embrace this in many ways as well throughout his scriptures, encouraging folks to be single. But really, at the heart of this, and many of our translations still keep this, Jesus is acknowledging eunuchs. Some are born eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. If you were eunuch, you most likely did not get married in that time. Remember, the purpose of marriage and the purpose of sex was what? Procreation. And so there was not a lot of what we have today, which is just for the purposes of sometimes love or companionship. That's not always what existed in, in this time. But what I love here is that he acknowledges that some people are born eunuchs. Some people are born physically without the quote-unquote normal makeup of our genetics. And I love that Jesus creates this space for these gender and sexual minorities. And, he be, and what I love even more is that we see Jesus all throughout Scripture heal many different things in people's bodies and in ailments, things they ask, Jesus, ask for Jesus to do in their bodies, but never once do we see Jesus heal a eunuch. All we ever see Jesus do is invite the eunuchs to come in and be a part of the community of faith, as Philip is doing here, saying, there's nothing wrong with the way you're created. You were created just the way you were for our purpose and intent. It's beautifully and wonderfully made. And I wonder, I wonder if Philip had heard these words from Jesus that had been passed down. Gospels had not been written yet, but I wonder if, he, if these words were familiar to him of remembering the time when Jesus talked about eunuchs as he comes across this eunuch on a trail. This Ethiopian eunuch, he had just been to Jerusalem to worship. And he would not have been allowed into the temple, as I mentioned earlier. But I could imagine that there was probably some buzz around the temple about this Jesus figure and the disciples and the Jews that had left the temple and the way that they were supposed to be worshiping God and the way that is acceptable and good and right. I wonder if there was some buzz around that. And I wonder if Philip heard that and begin to think, okay, so if there really is this Messiah, if there really is this Jesus who's come and, and made it possible for people like me and people like Samaritans and people like tax collectors and other Gentiles and sex workers and slaves and women and those who were divorced and those who are pagans and those who are Romans and even Jews who didn't believe in him, but now they do. If Jesus has really the actual Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for all this time, if he's really come, then guess what? That might mean I can finally be part of a community of faith. I can finally be looked upon from people of faith as not broken and messed up and sinful and wasteful and purposeless. Perhaps now I can be included in the community of faith. I wonder if after hearing all of this chatter, if he thought, I've got to crack open the prophecies of old and try to figure out, is this, is this Jesus the one that is described that we've been reading about in the Hebrew Bible? He likely didn't have every book, of the Hebrew Bible. That would have been a ton of scrolls, a lot to carry, and very expensive. But he clearly has the book of Isaiah. And he cracks open the book and he reads this prophecy or these words from the book of Isaiah. And I want you to stop for a moment. When we were in formation team, we were reading through this, and Mandy highlighted something really beautiful in this text. And then as I was reading the commentaries this week, it was in the commentaries this week as well. That when he was, when this Ethiopian eunuch was reading this text from the book of Isaiah about quote-unquote Jesus, he would have probably seen himself all over this text. He would have maybe read this text and thought the text was perhaps even talking about him. What do you what I mean? Well, look for a moment. It says, I was led like a sheep to the slaughter. It's likely that this man was castrated young like a sheep without choice or will led like a sheep to the slaughter, and then he would have read, silent before the shears, basically telling himself, I had no say in this moment that my own choice of my destiny of who I would work for and who I would live and my option to be able to get married and have my own children when it was taken from me. I was silent before the shears, humiliated, and I received no justice. He's castrated, and he is nothing but a joke to people from this moment on. He's humiliated and he will never receive justice because in that land where he's from, completely acceptable to do that to somebody. He will never receive a sorry. He will never receive the ability to be free from that whom whom in which he serves. And then he goes even further and, and then the passage says, and who can speak of his descendants? Reminding him, who can speak of my descendants? I'll never have children because of what you took from me because you led me like a sheep to the slaughter. You took the shears to me. And then the last part, as he would have read it, for his life was taken from the earth. Another translation says that Jesus suffered and was lifted up uh, is basically what this passage is saying. That, not that his life was taken from the earth, but that his life was lifted up. And in this moment, I wonder if, I wonder if as he's sitting there hearing this, reading this aloud to himself, if he's imagining saying, yes, I have been led like a sheep to the slaughter. I have been I have been silenced and sheared by people who I had no say and consent in. I have been humiliated, and I have never received justice from this. I have been isolated from my community of faith, and I will never have a family because of what you did and took from me and you chose for me. And I want my life to be lifted up from this earth. I want something better because everything that I've ever wanted was taken from me. I wonder if he saw himself in this text. Now, the traditional reading of this text, you know who the traditional reading of this text is? Israel would have said this was them. The religious leaders would have read this and they'd been like, yeah, this is describing the Jewish people, that we've been led away and we've been humiliated and given no justice by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and now the Romans. Our lives and our descendants have been completely cut off because people keep taking over our land. The religious leaders of the time, they read this passage to have said, yeah, this, clearly the book of Isaiah is talking about what's happening to us. But yet, when this Ethiopian treasurer eunuch sits down to read this, he doesn't interpret it in the traditional way. I bet he sits down and he reads this and he thinks, this, this prophecy is talking about me. This is me in the text. This is the injustice that's happened to me. I bet when he reads this text, he thinks not about the traditional interpretation of what this would have meant, but he thinks about this queen who stole his own consent and livelihood and future from him. He thinks and stops and thinks about the Jewish people who have used their privilege and their little bit of nugget of power that they were given by the Roman government to exclude him instead of include him. I bet he stops and he thinks about on this particular trip to Jerusalem, on this particular day, perhaps now for the first time, there is hope for me. Perhaps now for the first time, because of Jesus' love and inclusive message, maybe now I can be welcomed amongst my people again. Now, if he has the whole book of Isaiah, if he has the whole book of Isaiah and he's reading it, what we just read was out of Isaiah chapter uh, 53. If you just go a few more chapters ahead into Isaiah 56, it's very likely this is the whole reason he had the book of Isaiah, because it talks about him in here. In the book of Isaiah 56, it gives us this prophecy about eunuchs one day. It says, "Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, "The Lord will never let me be a part of His people." And don't let eunuchs say, "I'm dried-up tree with no children and no future." For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy, and choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than the sons and daughters could give for the name I have given is an everlasting one and it will never disappear. He likely had this book of Isaiah because in there is his nugget of hope that one day as a eunuch, Jesus will restore him. The Messiah will restore him. He will be part of the family and the community of faith again. He's holding on to this hope. And in this moment, Philip jumps into the chariot. Jumps into the chariot and says to him, Philip, and says to him, Whatever his name is, I wish they would have given it to us. Everything you're reading about, it's fulfilled. You're no longer excluded because of your gender identity. You're no longer excluded because of what other people did to you. No, you're no longer excluded because of the boxes that people put you in. You are welcomed here. I imagine Philip interpreting this passage to him and saying, I want you to know this. This passage, yes, it's about Jesus, but it's also about you. And I want you to see the way that Jesus sees you, and I want you to see Jesus and the way that he has suffered the way you have suffered. Just like you, Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus, too, was rejected by his own people. Just like you, he was rejected by the outcast because he was amongst the outcasts. Just like you, he was looked upon by royalty and those in power and told that he was unholy. Just like you, Ethiopian eunuch, he was childless and without a spouse. Just like you, Jesus was destined to a life of suffering and exclusion even before his birth and he had no choice in it. Even just like you, he was led like a lamb to the shears and created a disconnection between him and others. Just like you. Just like you, he was humiliated by no fault of his own and just like you, he received no justice for these evil and cruel acts. Just like you, Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus was castrated and saw himself castrated from his people and his body torn to shreds, just like you. I imagine that this Ethiopian eunuch sits back in his chariot and takes a deep breath. And for the first time, perhaps, he sees himself as the Imago Dei, the image of God. Because the God he worships understands the suffering that he's gone through. And the God he worships offers him an extravagant welcome I imagine Philip, in this moment, is lighting up because he's allowed this man who could never see himself as holy and good and beautiful and acceptable to God, sees Jesus in himself for the first time, sees the God in whose image he's been created in. I remember the first time I walked into a, a church and felt that I was good, I was whole, I was beautiful, I was acceptable. I remember the first time I walked into a church after having been told for so many years that there were parts of me that weren't acceptable and weren't good and if I lived out those things or talked about those things, I, like the eunuch, was not welcome amongst the temple. The first church I ever walked into was Sunnyside United Methodist Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And that faith community loved me in a way and helped me open the scriptures and see scripture in a way that healed me it also gave me a way to love scripture again instead of be feel adversarial with it they helped me see the imago dei the image of god the love of god in me in a way that i had never seen before they helped me see god in a way i had never seen before they opened the scriptures up and they explained it to a way to me that healed me and i remember when i decided to become a member of that church and i was kind of scared because I had been a part of a lot of churches, and a lot of churches that had committed, made commitments to me, but then they were all had their strings attached. And I thought, well, I'm going to commit to this church, another church, with the hopes that I'm moving towards being a pastor again. And the Sunday, I remember that I went up to do my membership vows. What I didn't realize they were going to do, and I'll show you this picture, was remind me of my Baptism. And as they stood up there to receive me for membership, they had this basin of water. And they, both these pastors took water in their hands and they touched my head and water flowed down my head and they said, be reminded of your baptism and know that you were always loved. Even when those who baptized you didn't love you, these waters always held and cleansed you. And I posted on Facebook that week this picture Back in 2016, it said, I was moved to weeping on Membership Sunday as I reflected on my experience in churches over the last 25 years. It has been the church that has caused me greatest pain, yet my greatest comfort. My cheek has been slapped by some and kissed by others. My heart has been mangled and molded, depleted and completed. Nonetheless, I love the church and am committed to loving people, not because of who I wish they were or weren't or would be, but because we are all but dust filled with the Spirit, striving to honor the one whose image we were created in. As I read this story this week, I couldn't help but think about that moment when I was reminded of my baptism. And I can't help but stop and think about this Ethiopian eunuch who perhaps thought, I don't know if I can trust religious people. They've been pretty cruel and brutal to me. But in this moment, Philip climbs up into his chariot and says, don't give up on the community of faith yet. May you know that you are loved and beloved and there is a one and there is a many that will welcome you. And with that, the Ethiopian eunuch says, what keeps me from being baptized? There's some water there. Let's go down to the river and baptize me. And which Philip, without any hesitation, baptizes him and welcomes him into the community of faith. Church, my question to you this morning is what chariots are you running towards? What spaces are you in that you're sharing with people about the inclusive love of Jesus that perhaps have just said, I, I don't trust the church, I don't want anything to do with it, and I don't believe in the church, and the church has caused me harm and pain. What chariots are you running to to remind them of the inclusive love that Philip reminded this Ethiopian eunuch of? What conversations and people are you talking to that are saying, yes, I know you were taught that about this passage, but have you ever considered this? What shame and hated and outcast and marginalized folks are you spending time with about, uh, from day to day in your day-to-day life that you're calling to see the Imago Dei in them, even though others told them there was not there? Just this last week, uh, Pastor Melinda and I, uh, two weeks ago, spoke at PFLAG, that's meeting here at the building now, parents and friends of lesbians and gays, and afterwards, as I lingered, I talked with several different people and there was this one particular woman that came up to me after and she said, hey, I, I'm really struggling with faith and all that they've said about my son and all that they've said about me and how we've been excluded from our faith community and I, and I just, I don't know if I could ever trust the church again and you're the first person I've heard that's a gay-affirming pastor and I, I don't really know much about that. Could you tell me about that? And I said, come on back to my office, I've got a book for you. And I handed her this book and I said, this is yours now. All I ask is that you send me an email when you're done you tell me what it meant to you. And she did this last week. And I stopped as I read this story this week and I thought, thank you, God, for that Philip and Ethiopian eunuch moment where somebody who just said, help me understand this. And I was able to hand him a book and say, read this, this will help you make sense of all of this. And healing and some restoration came. What are we doing, church, to invite people into new spiritual experiences, ones that thrive to include, not exclude, one that thrive to, to give people dignity and worth to all people? What are we doing to fulfill the prophecy and the prophetic message of Jesus to be people who bring justice to those like the eunuch who were humiliated and kicked out of their flock because they were deemed unacceptable, unholy, unwanted? What are we doing, church, to heal up the wounds that the shears have caused of zealous religious individuals? And when we do it here in this church, what are we doing to heal and make it right? What are we doing to acknowledge it and to move towards healing and growth? So let's dive in, church. Like the Ethiopian eunuch, the water is warm. Let us embrace what God has for us. Let us embrace what God is doing among us. Let us crack open some books. Let us engage in some conversations Let us go into some spaces where people might never, we may never have come across. Let's dive in. I think people are thirsty. They're looking for the refreshing water of baptism to remind them of the inclusive love and the never-ending presence of a God who restores those who've been excluded.